Welcome to Conversations, a Tear Fund Northern Ireland podcast connecting global voices to local issues. And it is amazing to be back for another episode with Gemma, my co-host. Gemma, Hello. how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. You sound a little bit coffee today. I have got uh, not the COVID, the other <laughs> cough. I'm going to assume it's the common cold, but uh, I've been coughing now for about two weeks, so it's interesting. I travel around and I feel the need to have a little sign that says, (laughs) I I have been tested uh, (laughs) and I don't have COVID. You know, that embarrassment that you have. I know, it's crazy, totally. And it's also funny because whenever you do hear somebody even sniffle behind you now in the shop, (laughs) the queue, you kind of (gasps) get very suspicious, don't you? (laughs) You do. Uh, Jamit, how about your, uh, how's your week going? And uh, give us a wee highlight from from Tear Fund. Yeah, so my week's going well. I've moved out to our summer house in the garden, which is an exciting place to work. And I'd say my highlight this week has actually just been from today. We are having a day of prayer and the Tear Fund family. So not just Tear Fund in the UK, but all around the world. So we've been led by Tear Fund in Germany on some things, the Netherlands, the US, led our devotional this morning. And it's just a lovely reminder that we are working with amazing people all around the world and that's obviously our kind of fundraising arm and then our other colleagues from around the world who are doing the work on the ground in the field and are being supported through that so yeah it's just it's been a lovely uplifting day how about you i am loving life uh i had a call with uh, another a person from a from a country in africa uh, yesterday or no this morning first thing early and uh, again just struck by the wonderful privilege it is to speak with people Mm. all over the world Um, and we've had a privileged conversation coming up Gemma tell us a bit about Inspired Individuals. Yeah, so um, our Inspired Individuals program identifies and then develops and connects Christian leaders from actually all around the world and people who are incredible change makers in their communities and who are aspiring to live like Jesus. Um, Inspired Individuals are involved in a wide range of really pioneering work, um, which includes things like standing up to corruption, ending trafficking and sexual exploitation, peacemaking between divided peoples um, and offering fresh hope to street children. So our goal through the program is to help equip and connect these people and to make their remarkable ministries as effective as possible. So we're going to hear from Ed Leader currently in the program. I can't wait for that and I can't wait for the listeners to hear it as well. But before we get there, Gemma, we have put out uh, an invitation to ask a question into the podcast uh, and I wondered whether anybody had responded to that. Well, Chris, they have. And so our question today um, is about a work in fragile state. So this person's wondering why it is important. Why are we are called a tier fund to work in fragile states? Great question. So fragile states uh, is, a, is a wider term used to uh, talk about companies where um, things are unstable. Mm-hmm. And so work is more challenging. Uh, tier fund believe that we are called to go where the need is greatest, to follow Jesus where the need is greatest. And I guess that is exemplified by a desire to be present in the most challenging uh, countries and environments and regions. Um, So an example of, I guess, the impact that makes, um, just this morning, I heard from a a staff member in in one of those fragile states uh, about two projects that were were fully funded and ready to go, but the money was unable to get into the country. They were unable to pay uh, through the banking system, through, through the financial system, to get the money into the company to pay staff to yeah. in our partners to start the work. So that's just one example. Uh, obviously, there's a the risk of conflict, uh, the risk of disease, the risk of uh, various other challenges. So um, within all that, Tierfund wants to be there, but with that comes all of the challenges that you might expect. 
Mm-hmm. Wow, thank you for that. And if you do have any questions uh, that you would like to put to us, feel free to contact us on social media. We're at Tearfund NI on all channels um, or just email NI at tearfund.org. We would love to hear from you. Okay, it's a real privilege to have Ulan here with us. Ulan is an environmental activist from Nigeria. She's currently in Germany studying for a master's. Uh, through her work, she became engaged with Tearfund's Inspired Individuals program, and that's why we've invited her here. Uh, she's heads up one of our partners in Nigeria, a place called the Joss Green Centre. And interestingly, just uh, this last few weeks, uh, a local church here in Northern Ireland has begun a five-year partnership directly with the Joss Green Centre. So it's a really timely opportunity to hear um, a little bit about the work on the ground. Ilan is a storyteller and a filmmaker and a writer and an author and lots of different things. And for her, she uh, understands that her faith and her work is deeply connected with her passion for justice. Ilan, tell us a bit about your history. Uh, how did you get into filmmaking? How did you connect filmmaking with justice? And how does the environment work its way into that? Um, and where's Tear Fun Fit? Lots of questions to get us started. Okay, let me see. Let me try and make it chronological so that I take you a little bit on the journey. I didn't get into filmmaking directly. I started with writing. So I always, even though I introduce myself as a filmmaker, I like to say writing is my core discipline. But I got into writing, then into script writing, writing for animation, and I stumbled on the on a book on a shelf. <laughs> And it was on directing by David Mamet. And when I saw that, his simple definition of directing was juxtaposing images side by side so that you move a story forward in the mind of the audience. And that just, again, I like I use the word stuck because <laughs> it stuck with me. And I just knew like every time I, re- I wrote something, there were always these images in my head. And I knew the story I wanted to tell, but I kind of had to hand it over to somebody else. And I was like, well, maybe I should try telling some of these stories myself by directing them. So that's how I got into filmmaking. And yes, opened a company with my cousin in Jaws. We made a couple of short films and documentaries. But the journey into working with the center and that even happened in a more, should I say, dramatic way. Because I actually was doing a friend a favor, Tiafon, Tiafon Nigeria, were doing something they hadn't done for the first time, which is work with young people because mm. they're used to working with churches. So they decided to do a study called the Live Justly Study. Yeah. And they took a sample size of 50 young people. And so my friend who was going to be like a facilitator only had four people in her group <laughs> and so she's like uh, it's not your thing I know I know please I need one more person I need to submit the name in an hour can you do me this favor and I thought like with the biggest audacity of all she asked for like 10 weeks of my life and I wondered <laughs> how how good of a friend did she think I was <laughs> to give 10 weeks you know but I mean it sounded interesting and I was like okay I'll do it for your sake and next thing I know, it's almost like seven years now that we've been on this journey. But once we got into the study of living justly, I just saw the way I was living my life and how much more better it could be in aspects of 
even relationally, my generosity, you know, with my consumption, just so many layers of living that I didn't consider and I kind of compartmentalized my life. I didn't realize all the parts make up the whole. And so zoom forward then to then, because now you're the head of the Joss Green Center in Nigeria. So how did that come about? Because that was a direct impact, wasn't it, of of taking the course. And then you went on to to win the Green Heart Hero Award through the center. Tell us about all the center stuff. Okay. So, I mean, first off, it usually happens in very dramatic ways. (laughs) Some of this call to action, right? Um, we, we We would think it's too much because it seems dramatic, but Really, it's kind of the best thing that can happen to you because of how well it wakes you up. Mm. So on New Year's Day, this was in 2015, after we had been meeting like twice a month just to talk about what we've learned, what can we do? We knew we wanted to function in the area of the environment because after that, I mean, with the zeal we were showing, TFON felt they had no choice but to kind of build our capacity because we just wanted to do something. And they had organized this advocacy and movement building workshop and Mm -hmm. kind of really empowered us better. And we decided to, the first original plan was to do like research because we felt because of our oral tradition in Nigeria, things get learned by word of mouth. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, again, back to the visual, if people don't see it, they don't believe it. They would listen, but you know, you you really need, you know, for them to see and get into what you're talking about. And we knew that if we didn't do like, put out information backed with like images and the reality, um, it it might just be another story. But the moment we started engaging, we did our first event and our launch on the World Environment Day. And we had made these banner bags um, so that we can campaign against the use of polythene bags and littering the environment. Um, And while we're there, suddenly people asked us a lot of questions, right? Which is the first thing was, how much are these bags? And we spent three months making these bags, but we did not think to put a price on it. So we we, we realized how lost we were in this thing we said we knew we were doing and we knew we needed to be organized. So we started thinking on consolidating ourselves organizationally. We started from there, figuring it out because I knew nothing but had a bunch of ideas. So. Yeah. And then, so that, so you set up the Joss Green Center, uh, which is a tier fund partner in Nigeria. So tell us about what you guys do. When did you win the award? How was that? Okay. So our specific thematic area is environmental and economic sustainability. And that's because youth unemployment is one of the biggest problems affecting young people in Nigeria. And Just Green Center is a youth-driven initiative on eco-innovations, social enterprise, and eco-entrepreneurship. So we knew that we wanted to, first of all, help young people to change their values towards justice, Mm -hmm. right? And we encountered a young man who knew how to create solar energy from e-waste. Wow. Yeah. But in his real life, all he taught was he was a roadside electrician. And by that, I mean, he just hung around for whoever needed their socket to be changed Mm -hmm. or some light bulb, you know. But when we found out that this was what he did, we also knew there were a lot of communities that were off the national grid and living like they had never had electricity. 
So we, again, because <laughs> TFON, since, you know, they help us, we kind of run to them first when we have any idea. So we went to TFON then. But like, well, there's this community, very low income, lots of unemployed young people. We would like to kind of create something like us there. But in addition, we want to empower them with um, electricity. Yeah. And this person that can convert, um, create solar energy from e-waste, um, you know, would like to incorporate that so that we also teach them this skill and then, you know, just leave something impactful. Mm-hmm. So it was quite the project and TFON supported us with the funds. And while we were doing it and overcoming all the hurdles, <laughs> um, well, someone thought it was impressive enough and nominated us for the Green Hat Heroes Awards. And funny story, when we saw the nominees, we're like, eh, they just put us to maybe just fill up space because it was the entire country of Ethiopia. And then it was like, there's no way we're getting this award when the country of Ethiopia and their massive one billion tree planting project is there. So when we won it, it was such an encouragement for us. Honestly, I, I, I could see how everyone was like, wind in our wings, you know, we're yeah. like, wow, you can just do something small. You're so focused on it. You know, yes, you wanted to impact people, but you're not even thinking of what you're doing and someone can see it and encourage you more by, you know, appreciating you on such a skill. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> um, you mentioned two words. One is gospel and the other is entrepreneurship. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about uh, the connecting points between those. Do you think Christians and churches have a unique calling to be entrepreneurs or or at least to to think innovatively and creatively about kingdom values? Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, the foundation of everything we do at the Just Print Center is the Bible. The reason we do it, the way by which we do it, we, we honestly believe like all the tools for life and living are in the Bible. And every time we read the Bible, we always see the way um, Christians in the Bible innovate or even create some kind of system around their community that helps everyone flourish. Because, I mean, people misunderstand what justice is to be sometimes like revenge or because they only know justice in the legal sense of Mm -hmm. the word. They don't understand that it's a system that leads everyone to flourish, right? Mm -hmm. It it provides shalom and abundance and Mm -hmm. an abundance that everyone is flourishing. So solving problems and leading your community and people into shalom would call you to innovate and for what we believe God has called us to do and in our relation with, in relationship with God, we know that anything we create is an accidental byproduct of solving a problem mm-hmm. in our community. So like we're cleaning the environment of e-waste, but now we have a business out of it because it feeds itself and it's in that circular economy mm-hmm. kind of way. There's a connection then between a discontentment yeah. with with what's around us and a yeah. sort of spirit given eyes that for yeah. injustice and for things that are wrong, yeah. and then our response as Christians is is to solve that, to be innovative yeah. and creative. I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you look in the Bible, if we even do like the most popular story of the talents, right? It's about working. It's about investing. It's about you know just not just holding what is what is with you and burying it. It's about doing something with it. So if you feel like you went to school to get a skill to do something with it, that's even something someone taught you. What about the things God has put inside of you? Why mm-hmm. do you not equally feel the need to do something 
with what God has put inside of you. Mm, that's so, so good. I'm loving this. Um, can we change gears slightly and talk about so plastic pollution, a really specific issue that is affecting people in Nigeria? Why do you think that tackling plastic pollution is essentially a justice issue? Yeah, because I mean, the very first thing we discovered was that plastic pollution in our community and in Nigeria as a whole is mm-hmm. a justice issue because people in low income areas do not have the funds to consume most of these um, single-use things that end up in plastic. Um, it's not because we imagined it. We literally went to um, dump sites mm-hmm. in low-income areas and we found out that the ma- majority of the content of their dump site was organic stuff like right. corn, corn cobs, um, maybe some onion peel. Yeah. You know, and those are things that are kind of affordable yeah. for them. But we realized that when we went to where the government officially, because we found out that the government official dump sites were very close to where they were living. Right. And when we went there, then we'd see like pasta, chocolate, things that they could not afford mm-hmm. on their own. So it was the government taking the waste from the richer areas and dumping it in their areas. Okay. And of course, rain and all the leaching that happens, it comes into their water systems. Yeah. And because there's no water like from the taps they go to these water bodies like the rivers yeah and which is always where close to where the dump sites are so they're bathing or drinking even if they boil it so we knew we had to draw the government's attention to it because it was a very huge um justice issue and and essentially then what you're saying is that those people living in extreme poverty were doing the least to cause it yeah the very least a plastic bottle of coke is beyond the regular low incomes um, it's not even in his budget, honestly. Yeah, yeah. To buy like a, a Coke bottle. Yeah. And you would see like loads of Coke bottles, plastic bottles in the dorm site close to them. And you know, they are not the ones that bought it. Uh, you've touched on advocacy and, and speaking out in, at a government level. And you've also mentioned Coca-Cola. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's obviously a tension between individual action on my part as a consumer here uh, of plastic mm-hmm. uh, and also tier funds response to to organizations and governments how does tier fund or how do you in nigeria see the balance and what's your involvement been like in terms of advocating for this issue yeah um well on a personal level um as members of the center we do not consume plastic and we spoke out very vocally on our whatsapp in meetings about it, we went to the Just Metropolitan Development Board and then we made like a massive campaign showing people like just the danger of plastics. I even wrote a play where um, kind of linked the consumption of plastics to eating grilled fish. Wow. Uh, <laughs> and that kind of made the message, I mean, it stuck faster because people were horrified that yeah. just throwing p- plastic in the waterways because the waterways end up in the open sea and these mm-hmm. fish consume and then you end up eating a grilled fish and behold, you yeah. kind of contributed to consumption of personal plastics. Yeah. So we've had those kind of campaigns. Like with Tier Fund, we contributed to the No Time to Waste report mm-hmm. that was done. Um, and with the Re- Renew Our World part of the Tier Fund Nigeria office, we wrote mm-hmm. a letter to Coca-Cola and um, Pepsi about their plastic use and our ask for them to reduce um, the 
creation of these plastic projects and how they can introduce recycling also into the system. And one day I was walking home. Now I can't claim it is our impact, but I was walking home and one of the Coca-Cola trucks passed me. And because growing up, right, there was no plastics. I'm old enough to have grown in a time when we did not have a single mm-hmm. plastic Coke bottle. What we had were the glass bottles. Coke yeah. had adverts of you're only pay- paying for the liquid contents. Yes. So you have to buy an empty crate of um, Coke. Then we give you the liquid content. You return an empty crate. We fill it back up for you. So I know mm. of that time. And those yeah. were some of the things we were letting them know. And I saw this truck pass me and it was like, Coke tastes better especially in glass. Ah, yes. <laughs> so I'm like, is this us? Did we do this? You know, I mean, it, it felt like such a win. However, it happened because it was maybe like six months after the letter had gone out. So who knows? Like, I mean, again, we can't make direct claims, but something has changed. You know, yeah. some message has heard that on the streets of just people are seeing a huge poster inviting them to buy Coke more from glass than plastic. Wow. Can I jump in and ask... Yeah. You mentioned about a personal commitment to be plastic free, and and that's important yeah. for this the team of the center and for you. Yeah. I'm sitting here in Northern Ireland, and I'm amazed by that. That's mm. a wonderful commitment to make, and it feels a massive jump for me to commit to that. Uh, what might be some advice you give to me or, or people here for some, some manageable first steps on the road to reduce our plastic consumption? Um. Yeah, it has to it has to be practical and manageable. If not, it's going to be a fail for sure. You know, um, for us, you know, to get a water bottle, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of us did. We got the water bottle. We are not even fortunate to have clean water coming from our taps. So the extra effort was to boil water and oh, yeah, okay. you know fill your bottles. Mm. But I guess if you can visualize how other people are suffering because of your actions and the fact that for us practically it's low-income people that would never do this damage to themselves. They end up being the ones taking themselves, their kids to the hospitals because we're polluting their waterways. It's very easy for me to take 20 minutes to boil water and put it in a water bottle. Mm -hmm. So thinking critically also about the consequence might help you to be imaginative about the steps to take Mm-hmm. And I mean, start with using plastic in a way that can be recycled. That's kind of the easy one. Yeah, and then one. move up and up and up. And maybe at some point, you know, you're zero waste. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a couple of colleagues, and you maybe know them in our campaigns team, who are a married couple, and they manage every year to keep their waste down to just what is contained in one small jar. And I, I think oh, it's amazing. Yeah. They yeah. send the picture yeah. around. It's just incredible. <laughs> but also I suppose, yeah. you know, because um, I'm thinking for us in Northern Ireland, our waste we think is recycled properly and it probably isn't ending up, you know, um, uh, impacting people who live in poverty in the same way. But then we also know, we hear these stories, don't we, of waste from countries in Europe uh, not being recycled properly as promised and then ending up just being shipped to other countries, even other continents. And then also, I suppose there's the, there's this issue as well of, you know, if our waste isn't disposed of properly and we're damaging essentially the climate, that's another thing that is a harmful yeah. problem to people living yeah. in poverty. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I mean, for, for us here, like we don't have a waste management system in our city. Yeah. So wow. people manage their waste in two ways during the rainy season 
Detroit in gutters and waterways because they believe they will break. I mean, it's it's can you visualize, right? Mm. The clouds are dark, the rain is about to fall, the first fat drops are falling, and people are running uh. out of their house with their waste to okay. pour it in the gutter or waterway because the rain is coming to wash it away. They do not think beyond where it washes it to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Till you bring their attention to it. And then suddenly they want to change because they know that it's not washing it to drop off the face of the earth into space. Mm-hmm. It's probably just to take snaking around and coming back to them. Yeah. Um, or in the dry season where, because it's Hamatan, it's very dry wind. So it's very easy to light a fire and they pile the waste and then set fire to it. But what happens is that because I personally have woken up in the night choking because my neighbor thought he was being considerate by burning his waste in the night when everyone was sleeping, not to disturb us during the daytime. But Uh again, the wind blows where it blows, right? Mm. So in bringing again attention to him, like it's really not going up in the sky. It's coming, it's choking us, Mm. you know. Think about how you create waste to begin with so that this management system is not really necessary. Yeah. So it's air pollution, it's water pollution, it ends up in the seas, it ends up wrecking the environment and even the climate. So... Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And it's just, I think it's really important for us to hear the direct impact of things like not engaging with the circular economy and and how it can impact people, particularly people who are living in poverty. Um, So you mentioned that the Joss um, Centre is mainly youth-driven, and I'm wondering what your advice would be to a church leader, a youth leader, a leader of an organisation here who wants to really engage and empower young people um, to take action, whatever that may be. It may be environmental activism, it may be something else. What would your advice be to them? I mean, young people are like the best candidates <laughs> to yeah. impact because it's the stage in life where outside of our families or where we're coming from, we're really looking for belonging and love and mm. a sense of purpose and giving young people a purpose. Like it's, it's just the right channel for energy and yeah. innovation and creativity we have never gone to a, a place where there are a gathering of young people and felt like it was a waste of time or energy. Mm. You know, once you just, and being the youth leader, being the church elder, you have experience, you've had time, which is what most young people have not had. You've had yeah. time, you've seen seasons come and go. So you have that wisdom and mm. that understanding to impact, you know, and so it's, 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 it's been the ultimate guide for all these energies that are very loud and very, <laughs> you know, vibrant. It's just yeah. been the guide for it. And honestly, I believe in Northern Ireland, if the right kind of church leader or youth leader can just make gather the young people and make a massive difference in their life. And again, do not underestimate the need for young for love and belonging and connection and purpose in young mm. people. It's really, really high and it will be great to create that kind of atmosphere for them. I'm a youth worker in my DNA before I joined the Tear Fund team. Uh, so I love your description of young people and that rings true for us and I'm sure will for lots of uh, our listeners as well. Uh, I also know the, the importance of role models. Just for yourself, this is my final question. As a, as a Christian and as a younger person, was there one role model uh, who maybe particularly with regards to your faith and the connection in the gospel and your your practice that was really key for you and inspiring you to step out in more into what Jesus had for you? 
Yeah, I would like to say two, but because the first one, uh, I, I can't point you to him in a tangible way. But I'd say Jesus was my first role model because mm-hmm. I think like he's the coolest being <laughs> to ever <laughs> walk the earth, you know, and just sometimes reading the dialogues and the things and going against the grain and mm-hmm. trying to just impact that sense of living in purpose right mm-hmm. but um the second person and it's it's a so i don't know it's a tf on staff <laughs> Can I oh mention? lovely yeah <laughs> so it's um mr ben osawe mm-hmm. who kind of started the um live justly group and he calls himself a hybrid <laughs> <laughs> because he he's he's old enough to want to be young but he's mm-hmm. old enough to know he's not young <laughs> and he, he has like he, I mean, we try to keep up with him. His energy is out of this world. And just seeing in him, like the way he lives his life, but also the fact that he's very aware of time mm-hmm. and he's very aware that you just have a certain time and a window to do the things that would make an impact and how he's, he's just, you know, very thoughtful about just every individual action, how it accumulates and makes a difference uh, for me in terms of this walk especially that we're doing with the Joss Green Center I'll say he's the role model he's the advocacy officer for chair fund Nigeria and yeah he, he really inspires us a lot you know even when we're slacking we'll be like Uncle Ben we call him Uncle Ben <laughs> Uncle Ben <laughs> Uncle Ben see, more, see how Uncle Ben is just marching across the you know, so suddenly our energies are up and we want to <laughs> Yeah, it's really helped us not to give up when things are tough because mm. young people are marginalized a bit in Nigeria and our voices not heard as much. But okay. seeing an older person listening and knowing that we can do what we said we want to do, yeah. it's really encouraging. That's lovely. It's high praise indeed. We'll have to send this episode <laughs> to Ben. <laughs> That's wonderful. And I just wonder, Ulan, could you just tell us how we can pray for you to close the interview? What are a couple of things that we could be praying for you about? For me personally, I would, I mean, with my master's, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I it, like I said, it's as a result of the work that we're doing that I, I felt there was a way to make more impacts with young people if I could mm-hmm. just understand how to analyze in a scientific way, like where people are coming from, because mm-hmm. sometimes I would be dismissed like I didn't know the problem because I wasn't living the life. It wasn't mm-hmm. my my reality, right? But then, thanks to being a writer and a storyteller, there was always a way in. That's why I even chose visual anthropology. So mm-hmm. I, I need I need for my mind to fully engage with the masters I'm doing, and mm-hmm. you know, for the impact to be felt back home in the work we want mm-hmm. to do. And yeah, um, being in Germany. <laughs> I'm used to community and used to just having people around. So I'm, I'm not really used to the individualistic lifestyle mm, okay. of Europe. So we have to find some kind of community here while mm. I'm here. Those kinds of things. And to still have the energy to still assist Oscar and the team yeah. back home in Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. And we will be remembering you in our prayers. I just, maybe just for the listeners, we maybe didn't explain this right. So you're kind of stuck in Germany. You're expecting (laughs) to spend maybe a month through the year connecting with the course, but mainly remotely. But now because of COVID, is this right? That it's just, it's too hard to travel back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard. Yeah. So you're, you're, yeah, rushing up on your German and 
probably wearing a few more layers than you would be oh, at yeah. this time of the year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, listen, it's been an absolute joy listening to you, hearing your story. Thank you for sharing so openly with us. And I mean, I, I feel personally inspired and also just excited <laughs> for, you know, for our listeners to um, hear about what you've been up to and the, all that underpins, the depth, I think, that underpins it. Oh, thank you very much. It was, it was a pleasure. Well, there we have it. That brings us to an end of our conversation for today. It's been a privilege for us to speak with Ulan, and we trust that as you've listened in, you've been inspired, encouraged, and blessed as well. We'll be back next month for another conversation. We have a wonderful guest lined up, so we can look forward to that. If you need your conversation hit, in the meantime, don't forget to check out our previous episodes. Don't forget to subscribe. And of course, don't forget to share with others who might be blessed by it. And until then, we'll see you soon.